0: Had an experience of feeling overwhelmed. How many of you have ever, ever felt overwhelmed? You know, the all blacks feel overwhelmed before every game. They've got to go and psych themselves up with that haka thing, hey? That's what I mean, being overwhelmed. Uh, I just want to, for a moment, just speak to every man in this church that is married. So, just want you be, to be reminded that every one of you, as best as I know, married up. Did you know that? so i definitely did and i married a a sheep farmer's daughter and uh she loves to run our household and our yard like a sheep farmer's daughter should and so she uh some of you might have heard me tell some of the story about being reflecting on it over the last little while again and uh uh, we had, uh, she had a cluster of about eight chickens that she used to help with the gardening because they'd eat all the snails in our yard. So that kept the snails level quota down to a manageable portion. So, And unfortunately, a couple of years back, we got a, a fresh Great Dane because we have these every eight or ten years, we get another Dane. So we got one, and this one um, came amongst us uh, with some big challenges because this one... <laughs> came at the time when Colleen was actually away. She had to go and help with the birth of two of our grandchildren in the Cape, and I was left in charge of the yard, which included this six-month-old Great Dane. And I didn't know at that point that it had a thing for chickens, but I knew that everything about our life together and this management of this household would depend on on me being successful in that moment. And... uh, so I did my best to make sure it was fed and everything was secured. One day I came driving into my yard and I see the Dane standing in the driveway to welcome me with a chicken in its mouth. And at that very point, the phone rang and Colleen was calling me to tell me about the birth of two of the grandchildren. They were born like very close together in the Cape. And I'm, I'm looking at the Dane with a chicken in its mouth and she's telling me this amazing news and I don't know how to respond. I just want to describe for a moment what it means to be overwhelmed so this this was my moment i was I really wanted to be sure that I was securing my marriage and all the things that pertain to that, but also being a good steward of the the yard, the chickens, and raising this dane right i mean I've raised sons and daughters, a daughter uh, and, and but now I've got this dane that's really challenging me with adolescent issues and uh I said, to her, I don't know what to say right now, well done, wonderful but the babies, but I can't describe what I'm seeing. <laughs> and I realized I have to do something about this, so I, um, I, I uh, managed to find the remaining chickens and put them in a wire cage uh, on the lawn, and I thought, let me just secure them, because right now I need some relief, and the springboks are about to play, and I was coming down to the barn and barrel to watch with some friends to watch the springboks, I needed some relief from my overwhelming experience, so... I put these chickens in the cage and secured them with a rock on top uh, and, uh, and and did my best. And um, I went off to watch rugby when I came back. The cage had been verplettered. I don't know if that's if it's the English word for that, but the cage had been destroyed and there wasn't a chicken in sight. Rock one side, cage that side, chickens gone. And uh, they just disappeared uh, and that wasn't where it actually ended because I then needed to deal with this thing because there were some chickens in my, in my yard in hidden places trying to secure themselves from being overwhelmed by this terrorist Great Dane that had taken over the yard when I was supposed to be in charge, not the Dane. And, and this was a big moment for me because I knew that I'd have to give account not only for the loss of the chickens but for the future of our farming against snails so what are we going to do? I mean, this overwhelming thing was going to be dragged out for years to come, because how are we going to get rid of the snails without the chickens helping us? Because it's a, it's a big thing. And I realized in that moment, this is my big life-changing realization, that the, the, we have got limits in our lives. How many of you feel you've got some limits? And I had to sit down and say to myself first, to my God, and then to my wife, I do have limits. Limits. I've done the best I can, but I can't manage a Dane and eight chickens at the same time as getting good news from Cape Town, and I don't know what to do with the kaleidoscope of emotion. I'm joyful, I'm distressed, I'm, I'm incapacitated. How many of you, everyone try being to overwhelmed, you know what I'm talking about? Huh? See, some of you really uh, know what I'm talking about. And I was thinking about this we, as we start this series last week and, and this week uh, on, on money matters how much how much of our overwhelming experience happens in the realm of of material life m- money and stuff that just comes at you how many you've got bulls that come keep coming hey and uh, and it just keep coming at you and you've got you've got to deal with them and you and you don't know what to do with all that's coming at you um, so many challenges so I'd like to say a couple of things about that this morning and maybe address it uh, in the scriptures as well, but just to I just feel to say, as as we open up the message this morning, that God would have you know, every one of us, no matter what's been going on in your circumstances, you are valued by God. God, more than anything else, wants us to know of His kindness, of His love, of His mercy. More than anything else, He's a God who is love. He doesn't just have love, He is love. And the second thing is, when life comes at you and you lose the battle with the chickens because we've lost them. We, don't, we can't have chickens anymore because that Dane set a new pattern in the yard and all the other animals followed that and all the other Danes that have followed have now also picked up the same thing so we can't have chickens anymore. It's the end of an era. <laughs> <laughs> eh? So when life comes at you and gives you hard knocks, it, it does doesn't do anything to, to your value. When tough things happen to you, it doesn't diminish your value. If I had a, if I had a hundred rand note and I held it up for you, it would be the same value whether it had been spat on, sat on, whatever it was. It's still a hundred rand note, eh? and your value is determined by what was inscribed in you by the, in, in our sense, by the love of God. That God's love for us is what determines our value, but when The thing I'd like to say is when tests do come, um, they actually affirm our value because there's something in you that's worth testing to see if it's valid and authentic. So those of you who are going through an overwhelming experience, take that as an accolade that there's something in you that really needs to be celebrated and the devil's found out and he wants to rob you of that and take it away. And uh, the last thing I want to say just by way of introduction is that always forgiveness is available. I picked up the message this last week of uh, Brian Houston from uh, Australia who f- was finally acquitted of any culpability with regard to non-reporting of, of the uh, molestation that uh, was incurred by his father years, years, years ago, 30 years ago or something. Um, and uh, he was he was taken out of ministry and put on trial, mostly by the media, but finally by the courts. But they acquitted him recently. Uh, he had, It was completely... Within his rights, he was asked not to, and it was a, uh, the, the man involved was quite able to make any reports he wanted himself. And the court saw the sense of that. Trial by media can be a real uh, horrible thing, huh? and we see it in our own nations as well. So, go with me to Matthew chapter six. Let's let's turn to the scripture here and see what what God would say to us at a time like this, and especially um, when there's lots of things that would knock on the door to overwhelm us. Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen. <coughs> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that interesting, huh? Your treasure goes first, then your heart follows it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, so you've got to make the choice, it's God or money. Therefore, wherever there's a therefore, ask what it's there for. I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. And his righteousness, and all these things will be added, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Money, 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 and this is largely about material worry, things that are stirred up. I've heard it said, "Why, uh, why pray when you can worry?" <laughs> We've developed such a habit of leaning towards our anxieties, eh? Hey, that. Uh, Prayer becomes a quite an intentional choice for us, and we're reminded in the scriptures in the, in, the, in the Pentateuch, the old first part of the Old Testament, how it says, um, "The Lord our God is close to us whenever we pray; His presence comes." And so we want to explore some of, the, of what this means for us today. And um, so the the title for the series over these four weeks is uh, "Money Matters." And I, my, I just want to make the very first point and say that it really does matter. Money does matter. Money really does matter. Uh, your material needs matter and they matter to God. He, he knows what you need. Like he knows the flowers of the field, the lilies. He knows the, um, the birds of the air. He knows what they need. Uh, and, and it's not like he's careless about that. He's put things in place to uh, orchestrate a, a provision for all things. And, and so money does matter. Um, the, the, what we're really saying is that God isn't, is not a spiritual God. He doesn't care about material life. He cares about our holistic life the whole life. He cares about us holistically. So it's important to keep that in mind. Um, I mean, the incarnation, Christmas itself, the word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us is an indication that God wants us to have a spirituality that is very materially anchored. And 3 John 2, that that wonderful verse that that John wrote as he reflected on his uh, experience of what it means to follow Jesus as his best friend. And he prays for others that are walking with him in it. He says, I pray that you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. There's a holistic element to a healthy spirituality, Uh, your physical well-being, your material well-being, your your relational connectivity with God and others, all of that together. Uh, All the things that make our lives less overwhelming, that's God's concern. So money really does matter. There's no dualism in God between the spiritual and the material. So likewise, when we see counsel, we don't just want to run on Gnostic revelation guidance. We also want to run on testing of counsel and advice from others. So just to say that as a a kickoff. And then second thing I'd say uh, to put things in perspective, and we'll pick up more on this later, uh, money um, does do things to us. And one of the things that it does it tends to invite us towards an idolatry when you start giving it more attention than it deserves. And it starts to become the focus of our lives, the be-all and end-all of our guidance and parameters of what we're going to do and how and when and and why. Uh, And so it it gives birth to greed. And Ephesians 5, um, Paul writes about this and, and and he lists, in fact, turn with me if you've got your Bible open. Ephesians 5, I'd like to show you that uh, this is a a list of things that Paul is concerned about for the church in Ephesus, which which it was his aim to make a healthy church, Ephesians 5, um, verse 3. He says, But amongst you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure: no immoral, impure, or greedy person—such a man is an idolater. He emphasizes this again and again. Has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ, and of God. So Paul is really saying that quite clearly: greed is right up there with all the other obscenities and immoralities of life. It's, 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 it's a, it's a manifestation that we are out of sync with the, the God of creation. We don't live. Uh, focused on these things. In fact, in the Luke 12 passage, we'll open up another day, uh, where he writes about this guy who, who just kept focusing on himself and thought to himself, and, and Jesus calls him in the parable a foolish man. A foolish man because his life was comprised of his acquisitions. Uh, Jonah would have said in Jonah 2.8, he says that um, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. The idolatries we cling to cause us not to be able to lay hold of that which God is offering us. So we have some choices to make when we think of money and uh, how it matters in our lives. We must make it serve us. If money is our master, we've got a problem. When money becomes our servant, we are starting to exercise our salvation over this very significant area of our earthly life. You see, because we trust what we follow. I've said over and over again in all the places where we lead, we can only lead those who trust us. Trust is vital between leader and people. Uh, so that's part of the problem we're having in our nation, isn't it, uh, as we think about it. We, we need a lot of trust leaders. They need to be people of integrity. Uh, and whatever the scenario, there needs to be a ready willingness for transparency and not a hiddenness for 25 or 27 years do- dodging the courts when you, you have an opportunity to make things clear. If you are that innocent, we'll face the music and let it be, become known and established. So that's true politically, but it's true for us in terms of our personal lives as well. We, we tend to, to trust what we follow. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, uh, where well, your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So put your treasure in heaven and your heart will lean that way more and more. Let your treasure be, be banked to the bank of heaven. And, and, your, and your heart will follow that more and more. Let your, let your material life Go in front of you to make sure that your heart stays focused on what you really do trust, which is God himself. So invest in God, invest in his kingdom, invest in the bank of heaven, if that makes sense to you. So I want to just open those two things up. But then I want to say, and I'm going to land with this this morning. Money best understood in its usefulness is a tool of faith. And we want to find out this morning as we look into Matthew 6 here, just how does it actually work? And uh, which means that the two primary things that money does for us either invites us to greed or is motivated by all our fears. And we all the fear of uh, not having enough, uh, fear of inadequacy, uh, all the fears that will, will cause us to, to live very timid, secure, uh, Scrooge lives um, will actually disadvantage us from the freedom of the, the kingdom experience, eh? seeking first God's kingdom. Matthew 6, 33, eh? and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us. It's, it's a faith life. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, if you've got your Bible still open, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul has some strong counsel for uh, verse 17, for those who uh, um, he realizes Timothy's busy ministering to, and he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Even snorkeling in Mauritius. (laughs) Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's why we do generosity months to remind us of this. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may, be, may take hold of the life that is truly life. How many of you remember seeing Forrest Gump in that movie, Forrest Gump? I love it. Forrest is a prophet for our times. One of the things that Forrest said was that stupid is what stupid does. Okay? You remember that? They don't call him stupid. Has, has he done something stupid? He might look stupid, but hasn't, has he behaved stupidly? You know, uh, When it comes to money, this is the issue here if you're banking with the wrong bank, you may be stupid. Uh, so be sure that your heart is right on these issues. And, and um, develop healthy practices uh, that will cause you to make money your servant and not, and not your master. And I'd like to give you just three particularly helpful practices and, and ask you to think about this over the next weeks. Number one is to plan. If you take charge, you know, I, one of the people I, I love watching how she works is, is Shelly. Shelly is so meticulous with um, the details of the roles that she plays in, in, in the staff of the church. And she, I'm on some of the groups that she liaises with, and, uh, and, and she gives details where she plans. If Shelly is your leader, you will never be unsure about what you're supposed to do. She will detail it for you, and you will know it. And it's amazing because she, she is so productive because she plans so well. Huh? Darren's another one that does this. They're in the hospitality ministry. I mean, you plan and you make sure, and he, he's meticulous and, and uh, making sure that there's adequate uh, welcoming and hospitality factors in place, and bless you, brother. It's awesome. Uh, if, you, if you fail to plan, you know, we, we, as we say, you, you plan to fail, so it's important to, to get serious about your planning, and financial planning is called a budget, and it can save your marriage. Did you know that? Because as, as you heard us speak of this before, if you make a budget, and in the budget, uh, you've, you've uh, agreed how much should go for this, and how much for that, and how much for that, and you've got it all laid out there. Then your wife comes in, she wants to buy that new outfit, that new, let's say, green dress. What? Yeah, green dress. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and you say to sweetie, I would love you to have that green dress, but let's ask Mr. Budget. What does Mr. Budget say? And of course, Mr. Budget says, if you want the green dress, it'll take you three months of saving to reach enough to pay for, for the green dress. So Mr. Budget says, not now. So I so sweetie, I really want you to have that green dress. It's not my fault that you can't get it. Eh? Mr. Budget, here's the problem. So it's wonderful when you can have a recourse and accountable plan that you put in place that uh, helps you to stay on track. And you're not going to just be impulsive in your spending and then uh, forever licking your financial wounds because you bought the darn green dress. If you know what I'm saying, we have to get diligent about this planning issue. Um, Psalm 33:11 11 says, The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, uh, the purposes of his heart for all generations. So when you make a plan and you set a budget in place for all the areas of your life, um, what you're really doing is you're leading your money. You're taking captaincy and you're making money your servant. And money serves much better as our servant than as our master. If it drives us, it'll rob us. It'll confuse us. It'll bring us in chaos. It'll probably isolate us when it comes to authentic friendships as well because it messes with us, with us in so many different ways. Uh, <coughs> I, I think often of, of a, a lesson I learned many years ago by uh, Gordon, uh, um, uh, Gordon from Washi- Washington, D.C. Gordon. Crosby, I think called, uh, who uh, talked about in his early days as a Baptist pastor, the deacons came to him and said, there's this one lady in the church, she's elderly, she's poor, and we really think to help her, we must ask her not to tithe anymore, and he said, I was very naive and very young, and, and I just did what the deacons told me to do, and I went and said to her, you don't need to bring your tithe anymore, and she burst into tears in, in his face, he said, I've never forgotten it, I realized how stupid I was, she said to me in that moment, she said, you are about to take away from me the one thing that adds dignity and expresses my faith in life. Don't stop me doing this. For her, just bringing those few mites or whatever it might be was a statement that she's a believer. And the deacons are going to stop her doing that out of some kind of... It wasn't that the church is providing for but God himself. And she was saying thank you in her tithe. It's amazing. Uh, So be careful to be sure that your budget includes the things that are... Uh, in place by priority. That's very important. Um, It's quite easy to make a budget. It's not complicated. You can't base it on how much you're getting. You base it on on all the needs of your life. And you might need, there may be seasons in your life where you actually got to plan for shortfalls. And you say, well, that's the faith portion we've got to pray for every month. Trust one way or another. There'll be a a bequeathment or an extra wage coming in or a commission or a birthday gift or whatever. uh, And it'll make up the month. I can't tell you how many times. Uh, Gail can testify about some of this too. We've we've taught money management in this church for years and years because one of our intentions is to help people live on a cash basis. To get out of debt. And sometimes you've got to help them set a budget in place. And in the budget is a segment for which they can't afford, but they know it's needed. And said, well, let's believe God for that month after month. And, you know, just because they've made a plan, God says, I like that. Let me bring my extra portion. And month after month, it's amazing how miracles happen and the portion that was deficit is made up. So it's really quite an exciting adventure when you think of this like that. That's the first healthy practice you could get into is just developing a, a positive budget that takes charge. And you can do this right up front, even though it seems like your your outflow is going to definitely exceed your inflow. Um, the second thing is make sure that whatever you're doing with regard to money and money management, make sure the undergirding attitude and climate of your life is gratitude, not desperation. God is faithful. We just read Matthew six: the, the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. I mean, I was saying it. And our dining window just looking at, because I said I married a farmer's daughter, so she's got these bird feeders and I was just standing here having a notchy looking at these birds. And there's every kind of bird that's coming in. I love it. Just standing and watching God's creation coming and eating uh, eating away at my budget. You know, you know. <laughs> 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 but they're sweet, little ones, big ones, and how they gotta work out their pecking order and who gets in first and whatever. And I see the feeder just going down, 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 because when they on feeding day boy, they all come, eh? That's amazing. And um, watching this lot, thinking, God, God looks after them. Eh? God gave them a woman in warmer huts who would be sure to feed them. And and it's all okay, because God has got an agent in warmer huts that's going to feed his birds. And she married to a man who's got to do the praying for the... <laughs> that is gratitude. It's gratitude. Hey, look, guys, I'm married up. There's no doubt about it. I'm still learning. Eh? Uh it's gratitude. And gratitude frees you, you see, to, to uh, uh, take a portion of what you've received. Um, and, and that's why we talk about it as a tithe, uh, t- because it's the it's foundation, because it expresses. We never tell people tithes to get blessed. That's just not right. Eh? I mean, go back to Genesis 12, when God chooses Abram, and he says, Abram, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. Abram had done nothing to deserve it, the law hadn't even been given yet. There's nothing to do with law and requirement and demand. It's Abraham just receiving the favor of God. That's why I said to you, the first thing to know about God is not his demands and his laws, but his favor. Even creation itself preceded the giving of the law. I don't know if you realize that. When God created the world, there was nothing about law. He didn't need to create. God didn't make you and me because He got lonely. He didn't need to make us. Ex nihilo, that we say in the theological circles, when God created ex nihilo, it was from, from nothing and for nothing. It was only because of his love. Love does that. Love creates. And uh, when, you, when you understand that, it, it, gratitude becomes the uh, celebrative attitude of your life. So that's why Paul can pick this up and say God loves a cheerful giver. And the Greek for that is helasmos, from which we get our English word hilarious. So next time you you push, go with your tithe on your EFT or whatever you do, or you pop it in the box or whatever, pack out laughing, would you? Just pack out laughing. Just have a good laugh. Because God loves an hilarious giver. And uh, this is uh, so important for us to understand. Because all of those things together make up an attitude of gratitude. Eh? That is so important. We don't do these things because we want to buy God's blessing. We, God's not open for bribes. So eh? It's not... It's, a friend of mine used to say, I've got to tithe because that's, that's the danger pay. I've got, I've got to pay for protection. It's uh, paying the gangs off that the heavenly gangs won't come after me. That's baloney. That's a deception of the evil one. If the devil can't stop your tithing, what he's going to do is make you tithe for the wrong reasons. Don't have to tithe. It's, you get to. It's a, it's a volunteer uh, heartfelt expression. So Jesus endorsed that in Matthew 23. You know, he says, you, you need to be doing this without neglecting the former, but be sure that you're doing it out of the, the motivation of gratitude. So I want to just put that right up there as the second most important practical uh, dynamic as we move into a healthy approach to money really matters is, is gratitude. The, the third one is stewardship. I don't know how many of you are enjoying Robert Morris. We sent out a, a link that Gav put together for us in all our connect groups. I encourage you, if you haven't received that, just ask Gav. or will send it on to your person if you're not in a connect group. But it's a great little mini-series um, on uh, getting the right attitudes and the right practices with regard to these things. And uh, stewardship is, is a big point that he's making. I think stewardship, um, if I look at this Matthew 6 passage here again, we see... God is a steward, and his steward is his creation, and inviting us to be uh, along with him in it. And the, the number one thing about stewardship is that you're not the owner, God is the owner, someone else owns it. Whether you, you, if somebody lends you their car, um, you know you're not the owner, but you need to drive that car in a way that you can be responsible, and the owner who lent it to you will feel blessed to have having lent it to you. So there's, a, there's an acknowledgement of Culpability or responsibility towards someone else who owns it. And same with God. When we are stewards, we're recognizing that He owns it. He, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills and the gold therein. Eh? The silver and the gold is mine. Haggai too, He says. Eh? It all belongs to God. So stewardship is, is a willingness to be accountable about what you have. So what you do with what you have, if you acknowledge that you need to give account to God for this, that. Uh, that really helps you to exercise a stewardship. Huh? Whereas in the Luke 12 passage, of that guy who was just building bigger barns for himself, it says again and again, he wasn't being accountable to anybody else. He was just building for himself. Stewardship is we, we're living unto the Lord. So everything about us is unto the Lord. What does the Lord have us do in this season or that season? And in this case and that case of our lives, the other thing about stewardship is not only there's an accountability, but there's a there's a, a, a commitment to fruitfulness. Because when you, you're given a stewardship, like the Matthew 25 case, where they're given five, two, and one talent, and there was an expectation they would use what they've got for the multiplication, for greater harvest and for greater fruitfulness that should flow. When, when you get given a bag of seed, the intention is that you, next year you bring in ten bags from the harvest you you got. You, you wouldn't just come and say, well, I ate most of the bag. You actually need to sow the seed so that there's a greater harvest. So there's a, a fruitfulness that can be expected. Like when God bless Abraham, you go back to that. I'll bless you and you will be a blessing. And all nations will be blessed through you. There's an expectation of great blessing, fruitfulness that will flow from stewardship. So by being a good steward, you position yourself to be able to help others. Um, and so when an offering opportunity comes along or somebody announces a need, you know, you, you can do that. I remember years ago, we had one of our first early young couples getting married in the church. and They were very poor. I've spoken of this. Previously, um, we just felt like if we could do this together, we could really help them. And together, we managed to buy them a little car and present them a car with the papers and the keys at their wedding reception. They were about to go off on honeymoon on a bus, and they drove away in their own little car. And we weren't a very big church; we were just a tiny bunch of people that we pulled together. And together, our stewardship overflowed in a fruitfulness to the blessing of a young couple. Huh? So. I think there's a, a great benefit in good stewardship that others can be blessed because it'll always be sufficient for others to come and feed off that table. Um, so we want to sow generously. The other thing about good stewardship is that it does avoid debt. It helps us to watch out for the rapids, the rocks, the waterfalls of of, of uh, the confusion that, that come from debt. So it helps us therefore to, to budget in a way that we intentionally are directing our money. We're not backseat drivers, uh, just being taken somewhere, we're going we're to drive this thing in the, in the right sort of way. And uh, <coughs> I think to do that well, one of the ways that we've talked over the years is to have a closed circle budget. Just to touch that for a moment, a, a circle is made up of your needs, obligations, and desires. It comprise materially your life, financially. Needs, obligations, and desires. Put them together in the mix. What does that look like, including all aspects of your values, values, um, express financially, put them together, and let's say it comes to 10 grand a month, whatever the amount is, um, that's your circle, and God knows that you're a faithful uh, steward on on his behalf of the things that are sent to you, and when your 10 grand is full, you don't just make the circle bigger, because this month you've got 12 or 15, you, you say, well, Lord, thank you for the extra, what do you want me to do with it, who did you want it to go to, what purpose was it for, and you're able to to become a sower outwardly of the excess. And so God blesses you with trustworthiness to bless others and to advance his purposes. And this becomes a, a wonderful, wonderful adventure. So, and there's a lot of scriptures that speak to these things. I'll just run through a few. Proverbs fifteen, twenty-two: Plans fail for lack of counsel. So make good counsel and develop your, your budget on that basis. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit to the Lord, whatever you do, and your and your plans will succeed. Let there be a consecration to the Lord. Proverbs 19, 21. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but there it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So there's a submission to God. And then Proverbs 20, verse 18, make plans by seeking advice. If you uh, if you go to war, if you wage war, obtain guidance. Get your intel right. Eh? Um I'd like to, 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 to wrap it in Philippians 2, just the attitude of Jesus, because Paul says, have the same mind in you that was in Christ. And this is his mind as far as the stewardship of, of Christmas, the stewardship of the Word becoming flesh. He says, verse 5 of, of Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he goes on saying, As a result of this, therefore, we shine as stars because we are in him. We're exercising the death, the resurrection, the Friday and the Sunday. So as we exercise um, uh, godly attitudes in money and possessions, we'll see how God will use that to advance his kingdom. Uh, I uh, was blessed to, to read of Bill Hubble's statement about if the request that we're making to God at any given time, if our request is wrong, God says no. If our timing is wrong, God says slow. If we are wrong, our attitude wrong, something about us is wrong, God says, grow. If the request is right and the timing is right and we are right, God says, go. But let's be patient as we walk it out in him. If we abide in him, we'll bear the fruit that he wants us to bear. Uh, and, you know, in the process, it's challenging and our prayer life is so important. So John Wimber said, the good news I want to bring you today is that uh, Jesus is praying for you. The bad news is that you're going to need it. <laughs> 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 well, uh, maybe lastly, just to close. Is there, there's a guy in the Second World War who, uh, when the, the time of the Blitz, uh, this father was holding his little boy, and uh, and the, the buildings were rocked, and uh, stuff, a bomb had fallen nearby, and stuff was going on, and there was this uh, shell hole um, in the front yard, and seeking shelter from any further calamity, the father jumped into this shell hole and it's dark and he held up his his hands to his son and told him, jump. And the terrified little boy said, but daddy, I can't see you. And the father says, but I can see you. I wonder if that's not what God is saying to many of us at this time. You can't quite see the way, even those of you who are economically wise, you don't really know what's going on in the market, so they're all over the place, especially those of you living on on the uh, pension plans, investments and things, and you don't know where it's going to go, and it's up and down and all over the place, but you you know that the Father can see you, eh? I can see you, and when he says jump, you trust him and you jump, and uh, he will hold you and take you through, why don't we stand together? Just invite your Holy Spirit to come, Lord, and to uh, focus our thoughts on what you might be saying to each of us uh, in this time, especially as we think about making money our servant and living the free life of the Jubilee that Chase was leading us in earlier, the free life of the Jubilee people. We welcome your presence, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Your leading our thoughts and the application of all these things. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome Your presence. Thank You, Lord. I feel like the Lord would just be speaking to us this morning about um, <clears throat> having stayed long enough at the altar of fear and it's time to come to the place of faith say Lord I'm going to choose now I'm going to choose to believe choose to trust you and make money my material life flow in that direction the direction of my faith and not my fears pray Lord that you would come and help to help us to focus what that would mean for us each of us only you really know only you really know this is not the time when the Lord would have any of us become timid and shrink back and afraid. He wants us to live the the confident life of those who have tasted in God the hope of an eternity where he provides all good things for our enjoyment. And it starts now. It's not just when we die. It starts now. I just feel like today God wants to make a transaction where he says, would you give me your fears and I'm going to increase your faith. There's a transaction on offer today. And he wants you to trade like we say with retrace. You can put your old things on the table and take away some new things. And he wants you to put away your, your fears and uh, take up a new measure of faith, a new abandonment to live the free life the people, the sons and daughters of God. Uh, creation is longing for the full expression of the freedom of the sons of God. Would you be part of that expression today? I just feel like while we just stand before the Lord together. Yeah, that's you. And you know there's something you've got to lay down because for too long, because for too long you've been bullied by fear, driven by fear, shaped this way and shaken that way by fear. Whatever application it has in your life and you want to say, Lord, I'm going to give that to you today and I'm going to take up your offer. i having an increased faith. And you will show yourself, as you said in Matthew 6, faithful. Therefore, therefore today I stand before you. I claim my role and my freedom as a jubilee person. The jubilee was a time when God set captives free. eh? Debts were canceled. Rest and celebration became normal. God wants to bring a jubilee back in our lives. While we stand before you, if you'd like to make that statement, say, Lord, I want to to come forward for that. I want to transact with you. I'm going to give you my fears. Will you give me faith? Would you come forward right now? Would you do that? Thank you, Lord. It may not only be about a financial thing. It may be about some other area of your life which has been governed by fear. Too long and you say, it's enough now. It's enough. Enough governed by fear. We don't know the the, the particular details of the outcome, but we do know this. God will take you seriously and he will give you all that you need for the new season as you set aside the mastery of fear that has been ruling your life. And you say yes to the invitation to become a believer, one who trusts in the Lord. Maybe some of you can join me. Just come and stand with those that are standing here. Just come and join the ministry team. Would you come and do that? If you're going to pray for someone. I would just encourage you as we try to do the fountain. Come and stand in front of them, hit you don't mind. And when you pray for them, uh, you can speak into their situation. Pray into it from the front. That's great. Thank you. If you want prayer, just come and face this way. If you want to be prayed for, if you want to pray for someone, face them. That will be good. We need some more to come and pray here. Thank you, Lord. like the Lord's going to, he's going to speak into a few things this morning. So let's uh, see what he's going to do. Wonderful Lord. Thank you Lord, you're, you're kind, you're so good. Some more people need prayer here on the side too, thanks. You have know, more than one person praying for each one. I just think that couple of people today who are with us who are having some particular frustrations in terms of transport and just listen to your story of the Bucky, maybe others of you, we just like pray for God to resolve the issue of your transport frustrations, if that's you, we'll come up, we'll pray for that, we'll see what God will do this week, he'll open your, a door for you and set you free from all the frustrations relating to your vehicle or transport challenges, just come up for prayer, we'll pray for you as well, see what God's going to do. sensitive one that I'd like us to address this morning in prayer as well. If, if you're in a situation of, of a, a measure of, of a sexual frustration because of what's been going on in the circumstances of your life, uh, God wants to give you freedom and peace in that area as well. He wants to give you victory. It's not something that you've got to live a hidden fearful life about as well. If that's used well, just come and join the, the crew. Nobody will know what it's about in particular, but we'd we'll love to pray for you and see how God will minister to you. So don't be shy. Just come forward. And you don't have to disclose anything you don't want to, but if you'd like to say pray specifically for this, people will pray for you, specific to the issue. So Lord, we bless what you're doing right now across this auditorium. Just need some more to come pray over on the side here. Some come and pray on my left here. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It doesn't have to be a big counseling session. Just ask what the issue is and just begin to pray. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. By your spirit, pray for your miracle working power to come and change situations. something up guys just pray for people that are coming up front just where we are this is a very important time part of our meeting is just to bless what God is doing. If you want to just reach out your hands towards him pray there's someone you know there just pray for God's favor to come upon them right now for grace to soak them.